Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. I will say that we're going to get into some PG-13-ish kind of material today. So if you got kids with you, and you may have to answer some questions after this, because Psalm 51 is kind of down and dirty, y'all. We're going to get into it. So, But I just thought, man, in this fast pace, and we're always busy, and we're always distracted, it's like, what other place do we, do we go where there's like this just kind of, and I was just reminded of this psalm where it says, be still and know that I am God. It's in the stillness when we make room for our soul to be still is when we connect with God the most. And it's like, it wasn't, it's not in the the storm and the chaos, like he's in the whisper, he's in the stillness. And so it's good for our souls to just kind of go, oh, that's nice. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Thank you, Jesus. Let me breathe that. It's part of what's happening in our worship gatherings, and I just kind of was feeling that while we were worshiping. I just wanted to to point it out real quick. It's been so good to just look at the Psalms, and I feel like a lot of the Psalms have had these moments, and our our worship gatherings more and more just kind of seem to have these, these moments, and we're so grateful that we just get to experience things that we don't get to experience anywhere else when we come together like that and make room to prioritize God in our week, and the Psalms have just been so helpful and so incredibly practical. And this morning, we're going to um, dive into just an incredibly influential Psalm. Um, a lot, Paul obviously thought a lot of this chapter because a lot of Romans uh, refers back to this. A lot of the, the things that we understand from the New Testament gospel find their origins right here in Psalm 51. We know that David is um, described as a man after God's own heart, which, to, if I'm being honest, a little confused confusing based on his behavior, how you can do what he did and be called a man after God's own heart. But the man after God's own heart is because of what happens here in Psalm 51, which is of the utmost importance. So if you want to, if you want to go ahead and look on that, we're going to have it on the screen, but to be honest, like screens will washed out. You may not be able to see it, but it's going to be there, but we're going to be on Psalm 51. I'm going to be reading from the ESV today. Um, and before we get there, while you're getting that open, let me, um, let me give you a little bit of backstory, all right? And if you're looking for some extra credit this week, you might want to spend some time in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, because what happens in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 is why David has this experience in Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is actually a song. It's to the choir master. It's a song of, that, that David has submitted for public singing and public worship that he wrote in in response to what happened to him in uh, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, which is this. So this is the, the, the Reader's Digest version, all right? So um, 
David did a lot of great things, called out by God to be king, anointed, set apart. Um, he had to wait his time. He, he was this amazing warrior, amazing musician, amazing leader, well thought of, passionate about God and everything God related. But then there came this point in time where he was up on his roof and there was a lady on the opposite roof taking a bath and he made notice of her taking a bath and he took, he went, you know, he moved beyond um, being in a place that he knew he shouldn't have been in and, and just like going, oh, I, I should look away. It's like, oh, hey, somebody go get that lady for me. And actually, could you just bring her to me? And he slept with her. Um, so he, he made her have an affair. He had an affair. Um, there was a child that came out of that relationship. And then to cover it up, to cover it up, he had her husband murdered. Like, that's our man after God's own heart. Went from lust to adultery to murder in about five seconds. Just bam, without, with, didn't hesitate. Just immediately committed these terrible sins and then committed sins to cover up the terrible sins. And he was just um, rolling with it. And then in, verse, in chapter 12, God sends a prophet Nathan, right? Nathan's sitting around minding his own business, probably in a still moment, kind of like we had. And God speaks to Nathan and says, you need to go talk to David. And so he goes to David and he starts telling this story. So he's kind of like painting this picture because nobody likes to just go and like be like, hey, why did you do that? You're an idiot. Make it right. So he's kind of like Nathan's like, hey, so there's this, if somebody did this and, and if it was like this, like wouldn't you think that was kind of bad? And David's like, yeah, that would be terrible. Whoever did something like that deserves to die. Like they deserve to be judged for their sin. Nathan goes, thank God, you're the guy. That's you. And David goes, it is me. It's me. And Psalm 51 is what happens next, Right? So let's get into it. I'm going to read all of this. It's uh, 19 verses. So, you know, here we go. You guys ready? Well, ready or not? Psalm 51. Here we go. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions and wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth. I love the word behold. That's why I use the ESV to be honest because it's like, I just like to say behold. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion. In your good pleasure, and build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then, you, then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, and then the bulls will be offered on your altar. So, we're not going to be able to kind of go verse by verse in that, but I'm going to be picking some things out. So, I just kind of pulled out some themes. I'm going to answer some questions for us this morning. And there's so there's going to be a lot more about this that I don't say than what I do say. So, just if there's more questions that you have, like you can d- dive in with your house church or with one of the church leaders or with somebody you trust about the scriptures. But I'm hoping to just lead us through a better understanding of why this is important. And as we dive in, I think what's most helpful for us is like we need to just be careful that we're not looking at David kind of over there going, well, good for him. He he certainly did need to do something about those terrible things that, that he did. This is for us because it's not a matter of if we sin, it's a matter of when we sin. When we sin, we are sinners the same. If we're being honest, we're already sin. We're major failure is possible and even likely for most human beings because we have this humanity that interrupts us and distracts us from the things of God. And so let's just remember that this is an example for us. This is an instruction to us. And and there's some really practical spiritual exercises that we can take away from this and incorporate directly into our lives. And so today I'm just calling it when we sin, when we sin, not if, when we sin. So let me just start at kind of a high level, and let's just talk about understanding sin uh, for, for just the first little bit here. Do a little bit of an introduction to sin. So first of all, this is what the Bible teaches us. We are all sinners. So before we're just looking at everybody else, it's like, we just need to point that. We are all sinners. Welcome to church. You're sitting with a bunch of sinners, your friends with a bunch of sinners. You're married to a sinner. Your kids, sinners. Kids, your parents, sinners. Welcome to the party of imperfection. Romans 3 says, for, we, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is what we learned from Isaiah is that sin separates us from God. Your iniquities have made separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. So you can't be in sin and in the presence of God at the same time. So when we're outside, when we're not feeling the presence of God, when we feel like there's walls or barriers, a good place to start is going, "What am I in sin? Am I... Do I have a thing in my heart, in my life that I've done that is hindering me from God because sin separates us from God? I'll take it a step further. Not only does sin separate us from God, it separates us from others. It begins to wreak havoc on relationships and space begins to grow where there was closeness, where there's sin against each other. It separates. Next, sin deserves judgment from God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin 
is death. God is serious about sin. The reaction and the response that sin deserves is for whoever committed that sin to be killed so that sin goes away with them. That's a weight that is severe that feels we don't talk about it very much in Christendom anymore. The wages of sin is death, but that would be really bad news, right? Good news, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God gives us a remedy for that judgment that our sin deserves. God is just and he can't allow sin to be where he is. And behavior that is sinful deserves and invokes and provokes his discipline, his wrath, and his punishment. That is what the word teaches us. But we believe that God sent Jesus to stand in our place. Jesus was perfect and sinless. We are not. Our sin deserves death. So Jesus willingly died the death that our sin deserves and absorbed all of that consequence and all of that punishment. And instead of us having to worry about what our sin deserves, we just look to Jesus who says, I covered that for you. Without Jesus, we're on our own, left to the consequence of our sin. Through Christ, our sins have been paid for, forgiveness has been offered, redemption is available, and freedom can come. Through Jesus, sin is forgiven. Romans 8, 1, such a powerful verse. And I think that maybe this is one of the things that, man, some of us just need to, to hear right now. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8, 1. There's no condemnation. If you are in Christ, through Jesus, even though you've sinned, if you've repented, if that's way back here, you've had a repentance experience, a confession, a restoration, it is not your job to keep punishing yourself for a forgiven sin. God is no longer doing that because there's no, con so if you're feeling condemnation and you've repented from that sin, that is not God's will for your current reality. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So, so what is sin? I was teaching about this back in the, the days when I was a youth pastor. And uh, in, in, back in Wimberley, there was a lady who was one of our volunteers and our leaders. She was amazing. She's a middle school teacher. But in her spare time, she was on the Olympic archery team. And I've got a picture of her. This is Kelly Shan. So she's participated in um, the Olympics, and she continues to do things with the Olympic team. And she came up after my message, and she goes, hey, do you know what it's called in archery when you miss the target? I was like, what? She said, sin. Because I had just said, sin means to miss the mark. I didn't have the brilliance of this illustration before. And so that next one has the definitions. It's all about sin. It means to miss the mark. What is the mark? It's like a target. God has been very, very clear about what his expectations for the behavior of his people should be. In those expectations is the promise of provision and protection for the goal of holiness and righteousness. God is not ambiguous in what he asks in the character of his people. And that is the target. All throughout scripture, it's this calling up to the holiness of God. And through relationship with Christ, the desire to be like him, to be led by him, to, to be known by him, and to be overflowing in sanctification, we should look more and more like him. And our, our, our shots are just more and more on target. 
And it's not a, like if you get close to the target, they don't call that a sin. But it's if you miss, in archery, it's if you miss the whole, the whole thing. Or in like uh, some kind of spear throwing in ancient times. It's like they would also call it a sin. So to miss the mark, to miss God's mark, what is sin? Anything that we do that misses the mark that God has taught us through the scriptures. Sin is about compromising God's truth. It's about compromising God's truth. It means not believing what God has said about his standards, about his holiness. And David points this out in Psalm 51, and he says, you delight in truth in the inward being. Adam and Eve committed the first sin way back in Genesis when they compromised God's truth. Well, surely he didn't say that. Oh, you're right. I don't think he did say that. He very clearly said, do whatever you want. Don't eat from that tree. Like it wasn't ambiguous. It was crystal clear. Their sin was that they compromised God's truth because of the influence of the enemy. Twisting God's words and it missed the mark. There's not like an almost mark. There is the mark. Not like a sounds like mark. There's God's standard. And so Adam and Eve did that for us. And we live in a world that is evolving more and more culturally away from any sort of absolute truth. You live your truth. Well, that's your truth. See it everywhere. And it's being celebrated as normal. And I'm just going to say that that's okay, but that's missing the mark. Because God's truth is non-negotiable. God's truth is clear. God's commands are clear. God's instructions are clear. God's mark is clear. His target is clear. And anything that pulls us in a direction other than that target is sin. And the world may say truth doesn't matter and you do you and just your truth live it and I have to love you and respect you and we can love it, but we also, for us, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you don't get to have your own truth because we believe what's more important is that God has a higher truth that calls us up and his truth is better than our truth and we submit that it doesn't rise and fall on our opinions and our preferences, but on the truth of God. You delight in truth in the inward being. When we are not delighting in God's truth is when we open ourselves up to participate in sin. So Psalm 51 is a deep dive into what happens when we have sin. So I want to move us into this next section that I'm just calling seeing sin. Seeing sin, right? So it's significant to remember that David needed help seeing his sin. Nathan, if Nathan hadn't had come, we don't know where David would. He had all the power, all the money, all of the influence. He could have just kept trucking. He could have kept covering that thing up. He could have gone to another woman and brought her into his house. And he could have done whatever. He's the king. Unlimited power in this day and time. But God sent somebody to help him. And so what I want us to just kind of understand is that we live in community because we need people to help us too. On our own, we will not see our sin to the deepest degree that it exists. We need somebody to help us. David had some choices when Nathan came. When he came and he said, you're the man. I see this sometimes in the world that we live in. He could have blown it off. He could have said, well, at least I'm not like Saul. At least I didn't summon some false God. I still believe in God. At least I'm not as bad as him. 
right? That's one thing that we do when we come into contact with our own sin is like, well, at least it's not as bad as, you know. Or it's, um, it's heartbreaking that the last couple years as we've seen moral failures from prominent ministry leaders and pastors of churches and some of the things that you, you hear after they've had some incredible moral, moral failure is excuses. Well, you know, he's been under a lot of stress and it's really hard to lead a fast-growing church. And I never would have done that, but I had a moment of weakness because I just wasn't where I needed to be with God. Okay, that's an excuse. Entitlement is what another prominent leader said. Well, after all that I've sacrificed for God, he can let me just get away with this over here. So I'm going to keep serving him. I'm sharing the gospel. Thousands are coming to faith. But with this little part of my life, God owes me this. There's an entitlement response that's out there. Or, it could have, or, or we can blame somebody else. Well, if Bathsheba hadn't been taking a bath when I was on the roof, then I would have been fine. Somebody else's fault. There's a big propensity to just, when, sin, when we start to see our sin, we just blame it on somebody else. Or anger. He could have just killed Nathan. Could have just gone into a fit of rage and denied it and just been blatantly arrogant. In his. So I just wanted us to see that like, there's some responses in our world that are really common that we are prone to do as well. Excuses, entitlement, blame, guilt, anger. Nah, it's not that big a deal. Friends, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to God. What I want to ask us right now is what rhythms do we have set up in our lives that help us see our sin? What rhythm exists? Where do you have a Nathan showing up in your life? Who have you empowered in your life to go, if you see me sin, tell me. Who have you given permission? Why do we leave it to somebody else to have some terrible conversation against us? Nobody wants to have that conversation. Nobody wants to be Nathan. It's always the pastor's job. Somebody did a sin, I'm going to tell the pastor, and Chris is going to go talk to him. Why? Because we're not handling it at the community level when it's more healthy. Who in your life do you get in the presence of that you've given full authority? If you ever see anything in my life that's sin and missing the mark and causing damage, would you please tell me? Tell me and I will respond like David. And when have we in this, the quiet places known of a destructive sin in somebody's life where we could have, been, God's calling us to be Nathan and we just sit on it. If we do that, we do not love that person. Sometimes we're called to be Nathan. Sometimes we're called to invite Nathan. Like we need those two presences in our life. David could not fully see his sin on his own. And I believe that that is incredibly true of us today. We don't, we're just blinded by it or we wouldn't have done it. We're not seeing the consequences. We're not understanding the severity. We're not seeing what it's costing us. We're not understanding the legacy that we're compromising, the testimony that we're ruining. It's a big deal. So we need to be able to see it and we need help seeing it. So he introduces us to this other idea 
This may be the last sermon I ever get to preach at Renaissance Church, so we'll, we'll see how this goes. Why do I sin? David takes it way back, and he says, he says, basically, Lady Gaga was right. I was born this way. In sin did my mother conceive me. Now, that's not like a knock against his mama, right? Like, he's not like, that terrible, you know, anyway, I won't use words. But behold, I was, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So what he's saying there is I was born into sin. This isn't an attack on his mother. It's a recognition of human depravity. Do you know that nobody had to teach you how to sin? You came that way. Nobody had to teach you to lie to your parents. You already knew somehow. Nobody had to teach you how to steal the gum right at eye level from the grocery store. You came that way. We have these propensities for sin, rebelling. We live in a fallen and sinful world, actively rebelling against God more and more every day. And just this week, the timing of this is really good for my sermon. Just this week, Psychology Today released an article, and now there is clinical evidence that shows trauma and mental illness is passed biologically intergenerationally. If you've been a part of counseling or pastoring or, or working with people for any period of time, we know that sinful situations create trauma and mental illness in many, many cases. So when they're saying that mental illness and trauma is woven into the DNA and it's passed on to the next generation, what that's telling us is that sin and the result, uh, results of sin, the effects of sin, the consequences of sin are literally woven into the DNA. It's, it's proven in the study of something called epigenetics. And it's fascinating to me because God created in the garden Adam and Eve with the perfect DNA to respond to his goodness and his target. But when it got manipulated or compromised and sin came in, that changed the DNA that they passed on to their kids, one of which was a murderer. You immediately saw the results of a compromised DNA in the scripture. And so what you and I received when we were born is a DNA that was created by God one way, but because of generational sin has nothing to do. It could be 10 generations ago. A propensity for that has been given to you. That's why some people um, struggle with addiction more than others because there's a compromised DNA that that sin was passed down to. They didn't do anything to receive that. That's just how they were born, and that's their current reality. Some people are more prone to different sins in different times, different stages of life, because now there's this more and more. The older I get, the longer we live, the more that science supports what the Bible has been saying for thousands of years, and that's that generational sin and generational curses is a thing, and now we're realizing that it's woven into our very DNA, which means there's nothing we can do about it. It was there from the beginning. And so David is looking back to the beginning and going, this thing, this adultery, this murder, I had this in me from the beginning. It didn't look like that, and the circumstances, you know, the life was lived, and then at whatever time it came, this started way back here. And I'm going to be honest, 
it started to make me change the way I think about certain things in our world, like when alternative lifestyle people are arguing, I was born this way, maybe we shouldn't be so quick to go, no, you aren't, that's a choice you made. Maybe not. But here's the thing. David identifies that, this sinful tendency, whatever I've got, it's been here brewing forever. Everybody's capable of it. That's the other thing about sins like this, guys. If we look at that and go, that'll never happen to me, it's guaranteed that's gonna happen to you. Everybody's about three traumas away from doing things they never thought they were capable of doing. We don't get to look in judgment on this. We look at an example of David going, I was born this way from the very beginning. But what I also want us to see is that he didn't make excuses. He didn't make excuses. So it's like, just because I was born this way, I don't get to use that as an excuse to miss God's mark of holiness and righteousness. It's an identification of where I've been led astray. It's an invitation to where I need God to fill me with his spirit in my life as I repent and confess and trust his mark. It's not a room for excuse. And then like this week, what an amazing time. I mean, my whole entire life, Roe v. Wade has been a thing. And I think some people are kind of misunderstanding what happened. I mean, it's amazing that they took that out of the federal authority that the government doesn't get to mandate that anymore. And they handed it into the, the local uh, state offices to, to govern that. But the problem is not a law or a policy. The problem is the hearts of the people who think that's okay. And a government policy is never going to change that. Matter of fact, it's made it a thousand times worse. And you know what's making it a thousand times worse? The responses of obnoxious Christians on social media. Nobody's looking at an obnoxious response and going, wait, could you tell me more about your position? I'd really like to understand... But it's clear that you're judging me and hating me. And I'm not sure why it is, but we can look at it. And Pride Month has been a thing. And so there's been a lot of, you know, heightened things. And it's like, I, let me be clear. Like, I think abortion and I think homosexuality are sins clearly taught in the Bible. It's missing God's mark. However, I'm not sure why culturally we've kind of taken those two and made them a bigger deal than a million other sins. Like if we had gossip pride month, I would hope we would have the same response. If we had anger pride month, would we have, we had gluttony pride month, would the church rise up to the same degree and be like, we have a, an overall holiness problem. Those two things are not really any worse than, the Bible does say that sexual sin has greater consequences because our body is the temple, and so sins internally that we're committing in our body, the consequences of that are greater. But that has to do with the person committing the sin, not with the weight with which we get to pass judgment on them. We need to be careful. I want to just look at these really quickly from Galatians is the first one. I love the Bible. Sometimes there's just some lists of sins. Isn't it great? Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, 
And anything similar, I am warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I just want to remind us that there's a lot of other missing the mark that hits closer to home with us. And making a bigger deal about where other people are missing the mark is not a good way to invite other people into the kingdom of heaven. Here's another one, 2 Timothy. In the last days, people will be lovers of self. Hello. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, demeaning. My favorite, disobedient to parents. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is just a couple of examples, right? And the, the point of this is not to be like, see, you're terrible. It's like, we have a sin problem. Something on the list is in you. It's in me. This is for us as much as it is for everybody. And here's where we're going to break away from the theology of Gaga. Like, I was born that way, but by the grace of God, I don't stay that way. You're not judged for how you showed up. You're not judged if you're not a believer. I mean, that's not our job, right? You're judged by God, and that time will come. But our job, who did Jesus hang out with? The social outcasts that culture rejected. And he loved them and invited them into a higher calling and a higher purpose. And gradually over time, through love and acceptance, they began to prioritize his target. That's our model. That's our example. Let's be careful with what we post. Let's be careful. Are we listening? I'm hearing some decent arguments on the other side of this Roe versus Way thing. I never think murdering a baby is okay. But there's other issues involved with it that aren't being heard, and we're assuming we understand where other people are and what their pain points are. And how we respond may disqualify us from sharing a message of hope in Jesus at some point down the road. I'm not asking us to be blurry in our convictions, but I am asking us to be clear about our love for a world that's separated from God. That's what I think we're learning here. If we're going to be outraged about sin, let's get outraged about all of it. If we're going to be a culture of outrage, not the things that are obnoxious to us, but the things that break God's heart that are outside of the will of God. Our response to somebody else's sin should actually be, oh, what's mine? Let me, uh, let me start here. Love Chris talking about revival starting inside of the circle a couple weeks. Just incredible. Let me just worry about here. And let me love everybody else. So back to the passage, he's giving us incredible insight. These terrible things he did, adultery and murder to cover it up, they started long before the situation he found himself in. And friends, we're sinners born in need of a savior. And by the grace of God, he sent his son to die on the cross to be that savior that all of our sins need. He provided a way for us to not be judged by that. And we can't compare ourselves against somebody else's worst sin. We need rescue from our sin. We need help. And our only hope is Jesus. So when we see our sin, we need to own it and realize that we've missed the mark also. How do we deal with it? It's where it gets really beautiful. 
with humility. How do we deal with sin? With humility. Not with entitlement, not with anger, not with blame. Humility. This amazing verse from Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. We remember that what our sin deserves, just like everybody else's sin, is the judgment of God. Then next we remember, but God sent Jesus, which should provoke us to a position of humility and brokenness. Because then we remember that it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross. The nails that went into his hands were not for the sin of himself. They were for mine. And my response to that can't be anything but have mercy on me, oh God, a sinner. Not everybody else should be doing this. But God, I need you. Thank you. In humility, I see you and I appreciate what you've done. No excuses, no delays, no pride, no blame, but with brokenness. Humility is the key to unlocking the depths of the mercy of God. Brokenness. Being broken over your sin. The next thing is with confession and confession means that you agree with God on your sinful condition that the things, the sinful things that God hates, we allow our heart to hate as well. God, I hate this sin in my life like you hate it and I confess that it's there. I'm the man, I'm the woman, I have this working against me. This sin is present and David confesses to Nathan that he was the man but he immediately turned his affection towards God. And in verse four, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. When you sin against somebody else, you've sinned against an image bearer of God. So you sin directly against God himself. You're sinning against his creation, which is the same as sinning. Notice every sin that we commit, every screen sin that we commit, every gossip sin, every slander sin, every lack of faith sin, all of that sin is against God and God alone because he is the only one who judges and he's the only one who offers forgiveness. It has to be dealt with with God. And then we move and the next opportunity is we may have to move from confession to repentance because actually confession is, is pretty easy. Like it's, sometimes it's hard to see it, but once it's easy to see it, saying, I did that and that is my sin is not repentance. Repentance is, I did it. I see how it breaks the heart of God. I see how it's off the mark. And now I'm dying to that because Jesus already died for this sin on the cross. And I take that serious enough that I'm going to die to this sin. I am going to turn my life from it and I am probably going to need help to do so. I hate my sin so much that I'm crucifying it. That's repentance. That's what David is showing us. Create a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. Repentance goes further because it's an action step. It's an act of faith to trust that I'm turning away from the sin because God is everything. I just want you. We can't dabble in sin and just want him. We have to kill it. There's some sin in our life we need to brutally murder like Jesus was on the cross. Can't be soft with sin. 
This is costing me things. This is ruining my life, unchecked. I don't know what the ramifications are. And guys, we just learned that whatever we've got, we've already passed it on to our children. It's serious, but it's not without hope, right? Wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So repentance created me a clean heart. The heart of repentance says, sink me up with what is right. Break my heart for what breaks yours, right? These, Chris teed all this up so great with the songs. Repentance, returning to the same sin over and over is not repentance. So it's today the day that you're ready to put that thing in the ground. I'm killing it today. Why wait? And then with renewal. In verse one, he says, blot out my transgressions. In verse two, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And he uses this word, um, there's this, this, this theology word that's called justified. And it has to do with what God does with our sin and he justifies us and justified, got a definition for this and it's just like pardon the elementary school nature of it. But to be justified from your sins means to just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees you now. So on the other side of repentance is justification and God sees you without that sin in the way. It's gone. As far as the east is from the west, he's forgiven it, he's taken it away, which means you get to do the same. So renewal comes on the other side of our sin, restoration, relationship, presence of God, blessing, hearing the voice of God, being called to the will of God, blessing others, being generous, like all of those things. If if repentance isn't come first, all of those other things, church activities, showing up here, singing some songs, hearing a talk, don't matter. It's just hanging out. What matters? Confession, repentance, restoration, renewal, dying to our sin, trusting Jesus and moving forward. And I'm gonna end with this. I don't, you ever like go to the dentist? I know, right? Like, great. And they've got like these things. It's like, and they open your mouth and it's like, there's these sounds. And it's like, there's these, oh, ah. It's like, I feel like I brushed my teeth pretty well, you know, but when I get to the dentist, I realize I'm completely inadequate in my own capability of cleaning my own teeth because they have all of these things that they do and all of these skills and all of these, you know, compounds. And, and what we have to see is that our sin is like brushing our teeth. Like we can, we can see it, we can deal with it, we can but only God can get in there and do a true, deep cleaning of our souls. And that's what he wants. But it's your invitation, he's inviting you into that reality. And the only way there 
is to kill our sin and stop missing the mark. There's always grace. Nobody will be perfect. Like I said, there's a lot more that I'm not going to say than I am going to say, but I feel like the message for us this morning was understanding sin and how dangerous it is and to lean into the forgiveness that God offers. And when we do, this is what he says will happen. Number one, he talks about joy. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Rejoice. If you're miserable, kill the sin. If you're depressed, kill the sin. If you're discouraged, kill the sin. There may be other factors, but kill the sin. If you're confused, kill the sin. If not clear, kill the sin. On the other side is joy. The next thing is praise. I love this. All right, Chris, can you guys, band, come on, lead us in this. Praise. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Why do we sing? Because we're really glad that God's given us a way out of our sin. And it provokes us to the joy of singing and praise. And then David also says, and by the way, I'm going to teach other transgressors your ways. This news is so good, other people need to hear this. That my sin no longer counts against me. That the consequences and the weight and all of those things, they can be things that are removed. You can have freedom. You can have joy. You can have peace. You can have cleanliness. You can have the blood guiltiness removed. And that's going to be something that I commit to helping other people experience because I've experienced experienced it on the other side of sin, joy, praise, and you preaching, you preaching tomorrow where you live, testifying to the goodness of what God has done for you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rind-church.org.